It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. I welcome you once again to another Estate Planning Essentials podcast and radio program. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., the grateful owner of KAAM Radio and co-host of this program, cautiously seeking to protect your family, your assets, and you. And I do that with my friend, my attorney, my co-host, whose name is Michael Cohen. Hello, Michael. Hello, Don. How are you doing? doing fine, thank you. A happy day to you. I hope you're well and blessed like I am. I certainly am, and I appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you're blessed. Thank you, very much so. Today, we're going to bless the audience with a topic that applies to a lot of listeners, a lot of people in the state of Texas, and that is that thing called property taxes. Um, we're the seventh highest state in the country that has, uh, when it comes to property taxes, I think it's 1.6%, something like that. And you want to address those because it does come into play when people are estate planning. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people have a homestead, for example, and they're concerned that their property taxes, especially seniors, that they'll lose their exemption. As you know, if you're over 65, besides having the homestead exemption, you have an over 65 exemption. Uh, some people who are disabled even before 65 also have the same type of exemption as those with a homestead. Uh, I mean, with that, or over 65, rather. Um, and then, by the way, disabled veterans, uh, some disabled veterans may not pay any tax at all. Mm. Uh, so there are some exceptions. There's even like a solar panel type uh, exception. on. Uh, so there are some exceptions to reduce your property taxes. And one of the common things is that people ask is, uh, if I put this into a trust, am I going to lose that or, or lose the freeze for those who are uh, over 65 uh, on the value? Uh, so, you know, of course, in our state legislature, we have this um, – uh, is it, there's a debate right now between the House and Senate. Mm -hmm. uh, this may be decided uh, very soon uh, and probably will be decided very soon. Of course, the state legislature uh, is supposed to end at the end of May. So uh, this could happen at any time now that there'll be a conclusion to – I think everybody wants – lower property taxes, just like you said, we're the seventh highest. We had a surplus either because of COVID, uh, and since we have the surplus for various reasons, uh, they said, let's pass that on to our voters, quite frankly. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, really. Uh, and let's, let's try to reduce our property taxes. Mm -hmm. um, now, is that a bribery or something like yeah, well, that? Well, <laughs> I'm just trying to say what I think is reality <laughs> okay. as opposed to uh, maybe I should say— But I think a bribery is in advance. This is yeah. rewarding well, them I after mean, the fact I, or something I, like I, that? It isn't politics. I mean, they're trying to—with uh, all due respect, whether the person is 
a Republican or Democrat. They're they're trying to right. win. They want to stay in power. Yes. I'm sorry for if I'm Control, being cynical. Power, yeah. I'm sorry if I'm cynical, but mm-hmm. you know, well, you're re- yeah. Well, <laughs> so uh, the reality is, they want to whatever party wants to show that they're doing whatever it is for their constituents. Uh, but as we know, Benjamin Franklin said there's you know, two things are certain, death and taxes, that that will not change. It's just a matter of who pays and when. That well said. Uh, so so property taxes, we like you said, we're one of the higher you know, states as far as the amount of property taxes, so we're trying to reduce it now. Part of that, though, goes to school taxes. Uh, and then you, you say, well, gee, we have this rainy day fund to take care of our teachers. How are we going to do that? Because part of the taxes go for schools, and if we want good schools, we need to have enough funds for our teachers. Yep. Uh, so, um, and and so we so this there's the House version and the Senate version uh, of how to reduce the property taxes. Now, will this benefit us all, and will we ever pay more taxes in the future? Is a different story, but so. On the Senate, for, well, first of all, I guess we should say what is the tax now? Um, the Right now, if you're uh, 65, you get a $10,000 exemption on your school taxes. Okay. The proposal is to increase it to the first 30000 on the school taxes. And on the there's a general homestead exemption, and the Senate version is increasing that or at least their proposal is from forty to seventy thousand. So, in other words, for a senior or somebody who was disabled, there would not be um, tax on that first hundred or the hundred thousand. At least it would be limited. Uh, so, uh, the if you have and, and seniors own forty percent of the homes in Texas, I might add. So this is a lot of a lot of people that could be affected, and of course there's also a tax ceiling once the person is at 65 or if they're disabled. By the way, if if you want to, you can only have one homestead. Occasionally, we'll see somebody at say a second marriage, and both the husband and wife are declaring a homestead. No, you can only have one homestead, <laughs> and so you pick and choose whatever it is. By the way, the homestead is also uh, important in other areas of law. It's usually as long as it's your homestead, uh, it is protected from creditors during your lifetime. Also, uh, for Medicaid, if you should ever apply for long-term care Medicaid, if you're married, it could be non-countable as a resource, uh, To the although there could be Medicaid estate recovery if you're single, if you're the one who applied for Medicaid. It wouldn't apply to the spouse unless the spouse was on Medicaid. Also, if you, let's say you have an estate uh, that was less than $75,000 exclusive of your homestead, the homestead could go to, let's say, your spouse or if there's a a child living in the home and there's no surviving spouse, to avoid the costly procedure of an heirship determination, uh, to get that less than $75,000 account to the, let's say, surviving spouse. Mm-hmm. You can do what's called a small estate's affidavit in order without a lengthy court proceeding. Had one this week where it was a second marriage, and the, uh, the that which was to pass that was in the individual accounts in the name of the deceased 
was just nominal. It was less than 75000 and the spouse was living in the home, so the spouse, that home didn't count towards the 75000 and the assets were less than 75000 So instead of having to go through a lengthy court proceeding, you could do this thing called a small estates affidavit where you say, here's the kind of family history, have two disinterested uh, witnesses sign, uh, and when I say family history, marriages, children, things like that. Uh, you list what the assets are, whether it's community or separate property, uh, and uh, and then it's you basically give the authority of the banks to transfer assets by the order approving the small estates affidavit. I see. And by the way, I'll mention it, that which depends on which court you're in as to the how they handle things. Always. Uh, so some court... Does that mean it depends on the judge? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, some courts are more um, difficult for things to be approved than other courts. Mm-hmm. Just like everybody, you know, just like in anything in life, some people are more difficult. Some people think of it, some people see the forest for the trees, and some people are more bogged down in details. Right. And um, so it's really kind of interesting. Um, the uh, in, in March, there was a, a probate um, bar, bench bar. There was 15 judges the, of the surrounding counties, Dallas, Tarrant, uh, Denton, um, Ellis counties, um, you know, surrounding counties. And the opinions of the judges differed on, uh, on this very topic. But in any event, uh, Homestead uh, is valuable to know about in, in different things. And, of course, in Texas, the Homestead is very—we um, have it where we're, we think of it as sacred, going back to the agrarian days. Mm-hmm. So we want to protect it. So even under bankruptcy law, if you had an adult uh, unmarried child living in the home— uh, under our Constitution, even if you declared bankruptcy, they couldn't take the home from the adult unmarried child because we want to pass on that used to be the family farm from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, our homestead is very important that usually the most valuable asset that most people have is either their home or a retirement account. Last week's show, we talked about QLACs and IRAs because the IRA is one of the more the biggest assets that people have, and the other one is the home. Um, and so here this week, uh, we're talking about homes and property taxes because it's in the news. Sure. Um, so anyway, so you have these exemptions, and people want to have that exemption. And the oh, the House bill is a little bit different. You know, right now you can't increase the the value more than. Uh, 10% as far as the amount of tax that is. Uh, that could be, you know, the taxation. So the House bill uh, limits it to 5%. But the important thing, too, is that it goes also not only on uh, a homestead, but it could be passed, at least under their version, to landlords and business owners. And so they would also have restrictions on how much it could be increased. Now, what would happen there if there was restrictions on how much it could be increased? Will they just change the rate? <laughs> right. You know, so mm-hmm. um, we'll see what happens. So I don't know that that would work, but we'll see what the House and the Senate eventually agree on. If that did happen, who who is going to be the um, beneficiary? Well, I guess people who own property. Because 
they're going to have a reduction in taxes or at least a lesser amount unless that rate changes. So what does that mean? Who And this will be go to a general election in the fall, whatever they decide. Whatever they decide is going to happen sure. because people don't want to pay taxes. They, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. Mm-mm. Eventually somebody's going to pay the tax. Remember, uh, if let's say they run out of these these property taxes or part of that goes to schools. Well, what happens if the rainy day fund runs out of Rain. <laughs> yes. Uh, right now, the schools could just go back into the general fund and ask. There's some bills I saw in the House that said, "Okay, we're going to give some more to that fund, basically, so that that you know there would be a limitation." So they're having to address this because, you know, you rob Peter, pay Paul. You know, one of those things. Um, so how do you how do you deal with that, and and how does this affect people who do not have property? Well, do you think a landlord's going to pass on their savings to the renter? I do not. Yeah. So there could be the thought that if you really want, and, and again, this gets into politics, and I apologize for it's not to say one way or another. Uh, if you're a landowner then you'd say, yeah, I'm all for this. If you're a renter, in that case, you might say, well, can't you reduce the sales tax so I could be affected in some way and have less taxes? Well, I mean, it just depends on where you're, I guess, you're, who's your political constituents, I suppose. Sure. And what state you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, and then what do you do then? What happens if the rainy day fund is the bucket is dry. Mm-hmm. There's no more umbrellas. There's no more umbrellas. Right. <laughs> uh, so, well, I guess you could raise property taxes again, or maybe you raise the sales tax, or maybe, God forbid, in Texas, a state income tax. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I don't think that that would be political suicide. Yeah, it would be. I, I, I don't really see that happening. Yeah. But, you know, property taxes is so very important because most people... Uh, biggest asset, if they have assets, is going to either be that home or IRA. And so then we'd say, well, what can we do? And then, you know, what happens when they... I think the amount... Um, th- th- I think one of the bills is to give $5.3.8 billion to the schools. Mm-hmm. So, you know... What's wrong uh, with that? Michael, we've got like a $30 billion surplus as it is compared to other states like California, which have a 30 30- Billion dollar negative. No, I don't. You know, you know. The question is, where do you spend the money? Right. You know, you spread it out. Everybody yeah, should get some. And and I was really pleased to see because I'd written an article. You know, each one of these things, including this, I write an article about each one of these topics on our podcast. Good. Um, and one of the things I was really glad to see because I'd already written an article. I, mean, I don't remember. You remember last month we talked about how. Do you have the? How can you have the government help pay for cost of care at home? Mm-hmm. And then I wrote in my article that was in my April newsletter for those who are interested uh, on that topic. By the way, and if you are interested in the topic, uh, not only there's the radio show, but our podcast, but also on my website at DallasElderLawyer.com. And one of the negatives I said. Uh, is that when you, you know, the state pays, they have a Medicaid managed care agency. Uh, 
each area of the state has different uh, agreements with different agencies. So in the Dallas area, uh, Superior and Molina are the two. But the problem is they're having trouble uh, keeping caregivers. Uh, the reason for that is that um, the pay, yeah. they're paying some people as low as $8.11 an hour. And so usually they don't stay on the average for more than 150 days. Mm. So they're having uh, trouble um, finding people who will stay because they could go to Burger King and no put no advertisement. Twice for, the money, three times right, the pay. Right, right, and so and so and and so they're having difficulties finding people. So I was really glad, and so I wrote that in the article. Good. I said, here's the negatives: you might have troubles getting people to come to the house because, or even if they did, it might not be the same person after a while right. because um, you know the low pay. Right. And I saw that part of the bill. That was a, that at least one of the proposals this week by the Texas House in the same type of legislation was to increase the pay to uh, almost uh, seventeen dollars uh, an hour by twenty twenty five. And just double so, it, which is great. Right. So it, it was really I was you know here we talked about it last month, and I had written the article, and I had no clue at the time that they would. Uh, that they would raise it. I was just thinking that, you know, this is a problem. So, like, on all these things on relief, where do you, where do you, what do you do and what do you use the money for and what's important? Is it property taxes or is it uh, uh, more care at home? By the way, just as an interesting thought, switching topics for a minute, and that is, uh, you know, I had a client this week that since they were having a problem, uh, paying for people to come to home. They couldn't get somebody to come to the home. Uh, the daughter uh, was actually became, in effect, an employee of one of those agencies. Hmm. So the state can actually pay, a let's say, a child to take care of a parent. They basically become an employee. Oh. So they may be getting this, it may not be a lot, maybe 8 or $10 an hour or something like that, but you have a child taking care of you uh, and being paid for t- taking care of you. And that's a, a common question, uh, you know, that we often get. Uh, you know, the great. it's interesting that the great majority now of uh, people want to stay at home uh, as opposed to go to a nursing home, and now medic- more Medicaid dollars are spent for care at home than in a nursing home. Mm. This is a, this is interesting because when I've, uh, I I tell people I'm an elder elder law attorney because I remember when uh, way back when <laughs> there was no waiver programs where you could come to the house, um, and so again, like we were talking about, you know, Medicare being disease discriminatory, well. Medicare being disease discriminatory. Mm-hmm. Medicaid was locationally dis- uh, uh, discriminatory. Sure. They thought that you should have one spot to dispense medication, and it would be cheaper for it to be in a nursing home. But they, it, I don't remember, know whose idea it was, but they said, hey, if we could come up with a cheaper plan and save the same money, assuming there's the same medical need, and we could save money by having these Medicaid managed care agencies, then let's do these waiver programs. It's not required uh, by federal law, and each state has their own rules. Uh, Texas 
has a program called Star Plus, which which is the Medicaid program that helps pay for care at home. That's not the only one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other ones. Uh, you like those acronyms. Uh, uh, there's CA, Community Attendant Services for Primary Home Care, CLASS class that often has a lengthy waiting period for somebody who's pretty bad off. Yeah. Uh, so there's the 109 Medicaid programs, each with their own rules. Um, again, uh, and, and, and this also goes into the homestead issue. Uh, here we talked about property taxes. Uh, you know, this all a lot of these things just all relate. Uh, most people say, I just want lower property taxes, but they also uh, want to stay at home. And then you say, how do you pay for care at home? And then also, how do you pay for the taxes? Well, if you're stay at home, and you're in, you get to keep, if you're single, you get to keep income up to that limit, which is the income cap, uh, which we talked, I think, a little bit last week, uh, $2,742 a month, mm-hmm. $2,742 a month. So if you're single and you have a home, well, you have some income to, to take care of you, and the government will help take uh, pay for somebody to come to home. And if you can reduce the property taxes, and by the way, uh, a little-known rule is that once you're 65, you could defer taxes until you die. Uh, you have to do an affidavit. Now, if they charge interest, sure. and your heirs may not like it. <laughs> That's not your problem. Right, 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 right. But you could have an affidavit and defer taxes until you die, or at least a later date. And uh, so most people are not aware of that. Uh, so, But all these things relate to the home. Uh, and whether it's care at home, paying less property taxes, um, or paying or deferring the taxes, uh, you know, so it's just kind of a interesting thing. And if, if you had too much assets, by the way, for Medicaid, let's say you're single, see if you're single, you have to only have a couple thousand of countable resources. If you had a mortgage on the home, well, the home doesn't count. All right, you just pay down the mortgage if you have uh, too much assets because the home doesn't count. And by the way, as you and I have talked about on prior shows, what do you do to protect the home for the, the from the claim of the state after death? If you're single, you could do what's called either a ladybird deed or a transfer on death deed, either one, where you could say who the property goes to after you die. You're in control during life, and but then it gets into you have to look at the person's situation. So, uh, uh, for example, if you had, uh, let's say you had helped out somebody on a home, uh, and uh, you and that person had limited resources, and they might not be able to pay the mortgage. You were just really nice, and you even helped out somebody. Well, if I did a transfer on debt deed, I'm sorry to switch gears here a little bit. You're fine. Uh, the the problem is that a title company would say, does that person have enough money to make either the mortgage payments or have it pay other debts? Mm-hmm. And if that were the case, it could be a problem for that uh, person uh, that because um, that, it could delay if they wanted to sell the property, it could delay because they say it, under the estates code, well, uh, we're concerned about creditors. And if you don't have enough money, uh, then we're, we could delay a closing because for a couple years. So in that type of situation, uh, you wouldn't go by a transfer on debt deed, which is a deed that says, upon my debt, the property goes to whomever, and there's a contingency. Uh, if it, that person dies, it could go to 
somebody else in that type of situation so that she wouldn't want that person to you just want that person to get the property subject to any mortgage uh, you might want to do a ladybird deed mm-hmm. okay? heard of those yeah okay and it, which is an enhanced life estate deed and an enhanced life estate deed you have a, a warrant you could usually have a warranty of title going back to Texas land grant days or whatever uh, as to good title transfer on debt deed has no warranty of title. Uh, some people prefer one, and some people prefer the other, and I say it depends on the facts. So um, anyway, sorry to divert, but you know, all these different issues are kind of related, and, and it's just kind of like, oh, where there's the home, there's property taxes, how long can we stay here? Uh, is it protected from creditors? What can we do if we put it into a trust? Can we protect it if we sell the property? What do you mean if you sell the property? If I sell the property, if I'm on Medicaid, then I lose my exemption because even if I did the Lady Bird deed or transfer on death deed because it becomes cash. So what if I put it in a certain type of trust? There's all these different types of things that are related, uh, but but not only to property taxes, but uh, in your general estate planning, whether you do it, there's different types of trust and Oh, my goodness. It just all uh, – it gets into a lot of different issues, as you can see, because I'm going all over the place right now. I apologize for that. No, it's complicated for sure, but it comes down to control, protection, and prevention. These are the themes of Michael's programs every week, and this is why he addresses certain specific topics like property taxes. And whether you own property, whether you own a home, or whether you rent a home, This applies to you, as Michael said 20 minutes ago, and this is why you should attend his next workshop, which is Thursday, May the 11th at 10 a.m. And Michael, we only have about one minute left, so why don't you address uh, the workshop real fast? Okay. Okay? Yeah, we ask people what you want to know, and whatever the questions may be, whether it be about a home center, wills, or trust, whatever your questions may be, we'll answer those questions. We put them on a board. And we proceed to answer them within the two uh, hours of this free estate planning essentials workshop. That's in person. It's not on it's, Zoom. It is in person. Okay. And, and where is it located? It's over uh, close to LBJ or in, in Central. It's actually okay. by Medical City Hospital. Okay. Uh, when you sign up online, we'll certainly, if you either call or uh, we'll let you know exactly where it is, but it's over right behind Medical City Hospital. Okay. Um, to attend that free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102, 214-720-0102, or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. And if you do go to that two-hour free estate planning essentials workshop, you'll also get an hour-free vision meeting where you could go into even more detail about your particular situation. It's free without any obligation. Uh, so basically, you get three free hours of legal education without any cost or obligation. It's excellent. Uh, it's very helpful. You will not regret spending the time of driving there, of being a part of this workshop, and heading home. Trust me, it, it's it's almost invaluable what you'll learn, not just from the questions you ask, but maybe other questions that other people ask. So sign up for that workshop, go to his website, or call him today for that Thursday, May 11th workshop at 10 o'clock. Michael Cullen, I thank you, sir. Thank you, Don. Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop 
by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.